Well, uh, on Valentine's Day, it seems appropriate that we should talk about love, right? That, that's an that's a easy sermon uh, decision to make. And there's a lot of things in this life that I love. And maybe, maybe you guys can relate to this. Um, I love uh, tacos. Uh, I'm a big fan of tacos. They're, they're mobile. Uh, they're hard to eat while you're driving, but it's been known to happen from time to time. Uh, you can have anything in a taco. As long as you wrap it in a tortilla, it's a taco. You can have pork. You can have beef. You can, it, it, the tacos are amazing. I had tacos last night for dinner. I love tacos so much uh, that there's, there's a salad uh, shop in Beaumont that I've been wanting to try called Salada. Maybe you've heard of it. The problem with Salada isn't their advertising, and I'm sure their menu is wonderful, but it's right next to our taco. And so every time I drive to Salada, I think, oh, I'm going to get a salad. I end up eating a bunch of tacos and guacamole, and I'm, I'm just happy doing that. I, I love, I love uh, tacos. I love winning more than losing. Uh, I'm, I'm basically Ricky Bobby. I, I really Really am a competitive person. If I get into a game, uh, I, I'm, I'm uh, strict on the rules, and I'm going to go for a win. In fact, my wife, uh, who uh, loves me very much, uh, will not play many board games with me because of my intense drive to win. Uh, we, as a group, uh, did a murder mystery thing yesterday where you drive around Beaumont and try to solve Jack the Ripper murder. Uh, what you need to know is that our team, out of, I don't know, 60 people, 60 teams that were in it, we were the first losers. We got in second place. We lost by four minutes and some change, and I'm not happy about that. Like, I really, like, I want to be a winner, um, and I just feel like, you know, I could have solved that murder quicker. Uh, so I love tacos, and I love winning. I love, uh, I love my wife, right? Uh, that's, that's, uh, it's weird that we have the same word for that. I love my wife. Ashley and I, uh, we've been married for, I didn't do the math before I got up here, so I'm going to do it real quick. We've been married for a little over 12 years, uh, which everybody's like, oh, that's so sweet, because I'm only, you know, like 25 right now. Um, and uh, we dated in high school. We, had, we, we dated through, through college. In fact, we met each other in high school. What I would like to believe um, is that one day I walked into a room that she was in and she just fell like madly in love with me. She saw me and it just like overcame her and she's like, I've got to marry that dude one day. I know that that's not true uh, because I asked her out three times. I got three no's before I got a yes. Uh, so guys, just let that be a lesson to you. Like, you know, sometimes perseverance pays off. You, you just you keep asking her out. Eventually, out of sympathy, she says yes to a date and uh, then we get married uh, several years later. What's, what's weird about English is um, we use the word love for so many things that it means everything, therefore it means nothing at the same time. And so we, we if, 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 if love is the feeling that I have for tacos and love is the feeling I have for winning and love is the feeling I have for my wife, I don't feel the same way about my wife as I do for tacos. That would be really weird, right? Uh, I don't feel the same love for my dog, my pet, as I do for my children, although my children are sometimes just as messy. Um, we, we are handicapped in English with the word love. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at love from uh, kind of a, a biblical uh, excerpt. I'm going to be in uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And I'm going to say uh, a few things that I think if you've been in church for uh, more than five years, you've probably heard this before, but whereas English only has one word for the word love, Greek has several words for the word love. I'm going to go over those quickly. Um, there are at least two that are used in scripture. There's a third one that is kind of used in the negative sense, but there, Greek had four words for the word love. Uh, the first one 
I think I'll be up there. There we go. Yeah. So the first one that uh, Greek would use is this uh, agape love, this, this unconditional, no strings attached type of love. It's the type of love that it doesn't need anything in return for it to be there. It's a type of love that is sacrificial. It's the type of love that Jesus, uh, or uh, that is said about Jesus in John 3, 16, for God so loved, for God so agape the world. He loved it unconditionally, no strings attached, that he gave us Jesus. That's agape love. The second type of love that's in Greek is storge love. Think of like stork, like a family, uh, like a bird, you know, family stork. This is the type of love that uh, a parent has um, for their child. Uh, it's the type of love that you may have for a strong sibling. This is, this is familial love. Um, familial love will, will make people uh, do things that they otherwise wouldn't. For example, um, I'm a pretty low confrontational guy. I can handle most people being mean to me. I can, like, it doesn't phase me too much. You're not going to, it's going to be difficult for you to make me angry, unless my son is right here or my wife is right here. And if you're mean to one of them, then like I turn into just like some crazy guy. Uh, and speaking of crazy guys, I was at Walmart uh, when Luke, who was now eight, he was probably like two or something. I don't know. He was, he was sitting in his cart and uh, he had uh, a phone and uh, some random guy comes up and says, hey, uh, you got to get that phone out of his hand. I'm like, thanks for that. Uh, parenting advice, buddy. I, I don't know who you are. And then he gets real close to my cart, and he kind of puts his hand out. Like, and I swat his hand away. It's like, hey, don't, 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 don't touch my kid. And he goes, oh, it's okay. He has nice hair. And he reaches back out. And I, we almost called the cops. Could you imagine the newspaper headline? Like, local youth pastor arrested for beating up man in Walmart. He, like, something about him getting to my son. If he came to me, he's like, hey, let me touch your hair. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Let's just walk away. But I, I rose up like this storge love to protect my son. Uh, there's this third kind of love, phileo. You get the word like Philadelphia from. This is like close family, like a brother type of love. This is, this is someone that is your best friend, that they go with you like to every trip or they're in every family memory, they're the ones that you tell your kids, this is your aunt or this is your uncle, even though there's no blood relation. You have a phileo love and you, you come really, really close. Like you love them. Uh, you guys know the story of uh, 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 Peter when at the end, Jesus comes back and uh, he, he, he cooks the fish and he says, Peter, do you love me? What he asked him is like, do you agape me? He used the first word and Peter goes, yeah, I phileo you. He goes, okay, yeah, okay, but do you agape me? Jesus says it a second time, do you agape me? And Peter says, yeah, phileo, I love you like a brother. Do you, do you love me unconditionally, Jesus asks. And Peter says, I love you like a brother. All right, but do you love me unconditionally? I love you like a brother. And so the third time Jesus asked it, Jesus says, do you phileo, do you love me like a brother? And it says that Peter was deeply grieved. Um, and he says to Jesus, you know me, you know, you know everything about me. You know that I phileo, I love you like a brother. In uh, the story of Lazarus, uh, you have the story where Jesus goes to the funeral of his best friend, and uh, you have Mary and Martha. They go out to meet Jesus, and um, everybody is crying. The shortest verse in the Bible happens right there. Jesus wept, and the people seeing Jesus cry over his friend, crying with Mary and Martha, they look at him and say, look at how he phileoed Lazarus. Look at how much he loved Lazarus like a brother. Jesus loves this man like a brother. That's that phileo love right there. And then the fourth kind of love, eros, which is where we get our word erotic from. It's a romantic love. It's the kind of love you, you fall into. It's the kind of love that, that um, uh, husbands and wives uh, have. I'm not going to give any stories about that, but I will say this. Um, it's interesting to me 
that of the four kinds of love that uh, Greek offers us, um, only one of those is the kind that kind of happens accidentally. It's, it's like you fall into. The, the other three, agape, unconditional love, storge, and phileo, these types of love, these take commitments on our part. What, what I'm going to make an argument for real quick is um, when the Bible commands us to love one another, uh, one, in the wisdom of my wife, it's interesting. This is something that she said to me years ago, and I've said it from the stage before. It's interesting that God commands us to love one another because God doesn't command us to breathe. God doesn't command me to go eat my tacos that I love so much because I'm going to do that. I'm going to go eat my tacos and I'm going to go breathe. He, he commands us to love because it's not something we're going to naturally do. We maybe just need a little nudge, a little commandment to, to love. But what I'm going to argue for is that the kind of love that, that we're commanded to do isn't the kind of love that sneaks up on you and overwhelms you and you just accidentally do. The kind of love that actually makes a difference, the kind of love that's going to transform lives, the kind of love that's going to point others to the cross, to Jesus, the kind of love that's going to show that we've been transformed is going to be the kind of love that we draw a line in the sand and we choose, I'm going to love. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give. I'm going to, to go. Uh, if you've been married uh, more than, I don't know, five years, yeah, anybody? More than five years? Imagine if you're... <laughs> I'm not going to say any names, but it's really funny if I look across the room and one spouse raises their hand and the other one doesn't. <laughs> the math is tricky in church. Um, you know, it's, uh, imagine if uh, your marriage for all five years, for all 10 years, for all you know, 25, 30 years has been based on that feeling that overcomes you and you're just like, you, you fell in love at first sight and that's what you've based the last 15 years on. That's foolish. It falls apart. We, we eat a bad meal, and then, like, all of a sudden, I feel bad. You know, marriage that lasts takes more love, a type of love that has a commitment. The, the romantic movies where they fall in and out of love, that's nonsense. That's not how real marriages work. That's not how real life should work. So if you uh, have your Bible, uh, open to Romans 12, please. The heater dries out the speaker. Romans uh, is written by a guy named Paul. Uh, you, you probably have heard his name before. What's interesting about the book of Romans, if I can set it up, uh, give me just a moment. It's written to a group of people, the Romans in Rome. Uh, they do not have a Judeo-Christian background when he writes it. They come from like pagan worlds where like there's a God of everything. And they're just learning for the first time this, about the one true God. They're just learning for the first time about Jesus they're just learning for the first time that God and his sovereignty, even at the foundations of the earth, knew that Jesus was going down the cross. And to a Roman mind, that's like, why did God have to come die? What is that? And so the book of Romans, the first half of it is like this whole explainer, like we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans. Uh, for all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. That's Romans. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans. The first half of Romans is like like this explainer for what it would mean to be a Christian, to, to be a follower of Jesus. And then at chapter 12, which is where we're going to begin, he switches gears. It's no longer an explainer to people about who Jesus is and, and what kind of God God really was. It's now uh, because of all of these things that you just learned about Jesus, here's how you and I should live. 
And, and what I think and what I hope we can pull out of this is because Jesus is true and because our faith collectively, Carpenter's Way has always put our faith in Jesus, our lives should therefore reflect what we're about to read, what we're about to see. And if anything that we read right now, and I'll be honest with you, there's a lot that I read, I'm like, ooh, I need to probably brush up on that. Uh, if anything we read in the next chapter, and, and anywhere else in Romans for that matter, uh, we see that we're falling short on, it shouldn't be like, oh man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm scum, I'm worthless. What it should be is a reminder of, these are the areas that I need to work on to be a better follower of Jesus. Does, does that make sense? This assumes, of course, that we all want to be serious followers of Jesus, but that's a conversation for another time. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 he says, I appeal to you, therefore, the word therefore is there so because of all the 11 verse chapters before it. I appeal to you because of all the things we just learned about Jesus and all the things about God's righteousness and all the things about the law that has been broken and all the things about Jesus paying the price that covers a multitude of sins, all the things about while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because of all of those things, here's what you need to know. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The, the request, therefore, is because Jesus is such um, a welcomed piece of grace in our lives and overcomes so much of our shortcomings, we should, therefore, respond by giving, off, giving our lives as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, which is our act of worship. And one of the ways in which we do that, in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is, this is easy sermon right here. Up to this point, this would be perfect for like youth group, teenager, and I've taught it before. Like how many of us, like we just want to like, I just want to know what God wants for me. I just, I just want to know like what is it that, like what is God's plan for my life right now? What is God's plan for my marriage what is God's plan for me going to school in my career? What is God's plan for me? And then Paul's answer is that we would present our lives as a living sacrifice, that we submit to him, and then we see that plan unfold. We start to see the will of God. But we're going to keep going because I'm actually wanting to teach something else later in this chapter. Verse 3 says, for the, by, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He warns everybody, he's like, hey, you're not as awesome as you think you are. Don't, don't think yourself more awesome than you actually are. There's a risk, uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, but there's a risk of being a Christian so long that you forget what it was like to be broken, what it was like to be a sinner, and you forget to thank God for the blessings of forgiveness. Uh, and I don't know if you know Christians like this, but we kind of have a reputation for walking around with our noses up thinking we're better than other people. Surely this body of people isn't guilty of that, but it's a real risk that, that and Paul is warning, he's like, hey, don't think yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, I'm not going to re-preach Craig's sermon. If you want to know more about the body, go listen to last, last week's message. Craig did a great job talking about the body. But what Paul is saying right here is he said, don't think yourself more than what you are. We all belong to each other. 
Your strengths, I should find strength in that. Your weaknesses, I should be able to come along beside you and pray for you and help you, whatever those weaknesses are. We should be a body of people that our imperfections aren't things that we hide, but our imperfections are things that we share with each other to the point that we find forgiveness, we find healing. Scripture says later that uh, it, it is by our confession of one another that we're healed of, of sin. This is how we find uh, correction in the body. Instead, though, I think, I think a lot of us fall into the trap of, oh, I'm in church. I've got I've to stop using four-letter words, and uh, I'm going to put out any, like, cigarette, alcohol, tobacco. I'm going to leave that at the, at the curb out there, and I'm, I'm going to show, like, everybody in this room, my life is pretty well together, and I've got, I've got it made. I don't know if y'all know it. I've got it. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty awesome in my, in my own mirror. Uh, but Paul warns that we shouldn't do that. There, there's a real risk that we would fall into that. But that's Craig's sermon last week, that we're all members of one body, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches and is teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, whatever God has gifted you to do, what Paul is saying here and what Craig said last week is, let's get about the business of doing it. What I think is important about bringing that back up, because I could have just skipped to verse 9 for the sermon, I think it's important to bring it back up that at the end or middle, wherever we are on this pandemic, we've gotten to the point where we're kind of scared to do stuff. I'm, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I almost lost my mind in quarantine in two weeks, just sitting around, staring at the walls, uh, trying to figure out how to video myself to teach kids. And I'm like, it, it, this is mind-numbing. And it's all because there's a stupid virus out there that is really affecting people and is really hurting people. And, and there's a real, like, I don't know, risk that I just bottle up. I turn into a hermit. I could, I could turn into a hermit pretty easy. That's a grow a nice beard, go live on a mountaintop. Nobody bother me, get off my lawn. I yelled at a lot of people in my neighborhood this week for speeding. Like, I'm just, I'm that guy. I'm like, get your toys out of my yard and stop running over dogs in the streets. Like, I, I just, and the risk is I stop contributing to the body. I stop contributing to you, Carpenter's Way. And you stop contributing in response that, that we stop exercising our gifts. But now we get to this. He says in verse 9, let love be genuine. And, and he spends a lot of energy talking about love. Throughout the rest of Romans right here, even before this in Romans, he talks about love. He brings it back up in 1 Corinthians, let love be patient, let love be kind. Every time he says agape, let, let love right here, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Everything up to this point is a warning about what might happen if we forget the goodness of who Jesus is. And he says to these believers in Rome, trying to learn what it is to be the church for the very first time, hey, let your love, let your unconditional, no strings attached response to one another, let it be real. Let's be real Christians. Let's be real in our love. And if you see any evil, any fake love, you should abhor that. I love that word, abhor. It's like, is there a more like feeling where that word sounds like you hate something? Hate things that are not genuine love. Abhor what is evil. Verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Phileo, uh, that, that love that is, even though we're not related, you love each other to the point that, that you bring each other in as part of the family, that you care for each other. And he keeps going. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. 
Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. One of, one of the interesting things is, as, as you talk to people in the pandemic, slothful in zeal, uh, anybody here just kind of getting a, getting a little lazier? I'm getting, I'm getting lazier. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I want to like fix my lawn all the time. I, I just, I think of, I think of having to go to Walmart and dealing with people and then you have to maintain six feet and like, you get the guy at the restaurant, the table next to you, he sneezes 12 times during your meal and you're like, well, we all caught something on that. May not be COVID, but who knows? <laughs> uh, that's a true story. Actually, a staff meeting, it's just like over and it was, it was a song. He was on beat with the sneezes. And uh, everything about that is like, you know, I'd rather just like bottle up in my house. And Paul is warning us, hey, don't be slothful in your zeal. It says, be fervent in spirit. We should fight as collectively as followers of Jesus. As we consider the goodness of who Jesus is, we should fight for that passion to not die down inside of us. You guys remember what it was like when we first started following Jesus and like the whole world made sense in that moment and like nothing could stop us and you, you were fearless in that day. Maybe you were like at youth camp uh, and, and it was like day three or four of youth camp and then all of a sudden it's like every decision makes perfect sense. You run it through this exact filter and you're so excited to be a follower of Jesus. But if you had to be honest, you look in the mirror and you ask yourself like, where, where's my spirit right now? Why is it, why do I feel cold and dry? Why, why, why am I, because there's a real risk that our fervency, our, our heat, our zeal dies down. He says, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He says, rejoice in hope and pay, be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. He says, rejoice in hope. Find things to, to like, okay, sure there's a pandemic. Sure there's people that are hurting, but there are things to be hopeful about in this world right now. There are things to be hopeful about in marriages that are, are hurting. There are things to be hopeful about in a community where you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be laid off. I don't know if I'm going to be furloughed. I don't, I don't, there are certainly things to complain about. Instead, rejoice in hope. I have a habit of, uh, I, like, sometimes I turn on TV for my entertainment, and, and I'll watch, like, a, uh, I was telling the kids, like, over this quarantine, I, I've watched, like, three whole seasons of Flash, which is medium entertaining. Um, something that, that is more entertaining than watching, like, superheroes is just getting on Facebook and watching people argue with each other. And it's really fascinating to see, like, what will set people off. And it'll, it'll be, like, the whole, like, citywide, like, Things of Nederland Facebook page, uh, and they'll just start arguing about nonsense. And so here, here's one that I saw uh, just the other day. Uh, someone says, hey, there's a cold snap coming. Be sure to wrap your pipes, and if you have an extra blanket, give it to the homeless. That was like comment one. That's a good, okay, we're looking out for people. And then within like three comments, it turned into, well, this is all Trump's fault. Well, this is all Biden's fault. And then they're fighting. And the, the original poster is like, I, I had nothing political. I just, like, why did it have to turn into this? Why did, why did we have to find the bad in the statement of watch out for your pipes, bring in your dogs, and like give a blanket to homeless people? Just argue, and don't get me started on Bridge City's Facebook page. I don't know what happened over there. If y'all live in Bridge City, like that, that thing went sideways. And if you're online and you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about, just be thankful. You, you, it doesn't matter. There, there, there's so many things that say you pay attention to this, you be mad at this. You know what you should be mad at? You know who you should be mad at? I know who you should be mad at. You should be mad at the people I'm mad at. Focus on these things. And Paul's like, no, instead rejoice in hope. Be fervent in spirit. Uh, he, says, he says, be patient in tribulation. When there are bad things that are happening to you, those things are real, but be patient. Be constant in prayer. Pray for your situation. Pray for other people's situations. Pray for something, but be constant in prayer. 
says in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Find somebody around you who needs something and show them love. Agape, no strings attached, unconditional, get out there and help somebody. Seek to show hospitality. If you haven't been hospitable, is that the right word? If you haven't shown hospitality in the last little while and you're thinking, it's been a while since I've shown hospitality, Paul says, seek to, find an excuse to, look for a reason to invite a friend over to your house or go uh, do something kind for a neighbor. He says, uh, seek to show hospitality, contribute to the needs of the saints. And then Paul gets all up in our business and we want to stop reading right here, but he, he goes on because of this love that should be an outpouring of following Jesus has some, some um, uh, hard pieces to it. And this is, where, this is where you're never going to accidentally do this part of the love. You're never going to just fall into the kind of love where you bless those who persecute you. All right, so I, I grab one of you out in the hall, and I call you the nastiest four-letter word I can come up to. You will not instinctively be like, well, God bless your little heart, Jesse. That is the nicest thing. You will not instinctively bless me for persecuting you, yet we as Christians are commanded to do that. Let's look, look at how this unpacks. It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Sometimes, sometimes there's a real reason to be like in celebration and, and we have Debbie Downers in our lives who will come and be like, well, I get that, you know, you're really excited about having a new kid, but let me tell you, I've got a two-year-old and they're little demons, okay? And you're just not gonna like any of that. Well, you know, that, you, you didn't have to yuck my yum. Like we could have all just rejoiced together and yet you had to rain on my parade. Thank you so, so much. Um, I also have a condition. Uh, I'm a man. Uh, that's the condition. And part of the, the side effects of that is that when people are crying, I get really uncomfortable. Like if, if like a little teenage girl starts crying right now, I'm like, here's the Kleenex. Talk to me when that dries up. Like it just, like I, I've learned to counsel. Like I can talk to crying people, but it's hard. Uh, what Paul says right here is, hey, don't yuck people's yum. Rejoice with the rejoicing and weep with the weeping. It's okay to sit with someone who is sad and just be like, you know what? I'm just not gonna let you go through this alone. And uh, I, I know you just lost someone that you love or I know that that's a hard conversation and I can see that it's affecting you. I'm just gonna sit here. I'm gonna weep with you. I'm gonna weep with those who weep. Verse 18, uh, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. What a great word. Don't be, don't be a haughty. I am, I'm at zero risk of being a haughty. It says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Don't, don't put your nose up, but associate with the lowly. I know uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of Christians I hung out with when I was younger, uh, there was a real sense of like superiority. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, 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 so I'm, I'm church and like you're a sinner and I'm, I'm not and I'm, I'm hot. The, the word that Paul would use is that person was being a hottie. That, that person was thinking themselves better than they ought. And what he says instead, he says, associate with the lowly. Whatever, whatever uh, station in life you happen to find yourself blessed to have, there's people who are better off than you, and there are people who are struggling. There are people who are higher than you in station. There are people who are lower than you in station. And we should be seeking to associate even with people who are lower than us. It says, never be wise in your own sight. Don't, don't think yourself smarter than you are. It says, repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. One, one of the problems, uh, if that's the right word, uh, 
with Christianity is um, Christianity doesn't allow for revenge. And that really makes me mad because I, I love getting people back. Like I, it, it, is, it is something that it, aside from the saving work of Jesus in my life, I would be a vindictive, cold, like I would straight be Lex Luthor, like going around writing every wrong. You cut me off in traffic, I'm gonna slash your tires. Like I would immediately go to immediate vengeance is mine and I'm going to do it. And yet Jesus doesn't allow for us to hate our enemies. He doesn't say don't have enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. He doesn't say, love those people you think are your enemies, but they're really not. He says, love your enemies. What Paul says right here, he says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. To, to, be, to, to do this doesn't say, oh, that thing you did that I thought was evil, it really wasn't. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't minimize the activity. It identifies it. It says, that's evil. But we don't have permission by our Lord to repay evil with evil. And that really stinks, I think. Like, I want to. But here's, here's what happens instead. This is what, this is like, yay, I like this part. Um, repay no evil for evil, but give a thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In everything you do, he says, in so much as it depends on you, it doesn't always depend on you, but the parts of the situation, the parts of the relationship that you own that are yours, are mine, like, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Don't get revenge, but leave it to, look at this, everybody just get a big grin on your face. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written in Batman's voice, I think, vengeance is mine. <laughs> God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Like for the Christian to be a follower of Jesus and to do this, we don't get to seek revenge, but we get to trust that God knows exactly what the just outcome is. And we get to hand it over to God in his Batman voice who says vengeance is his. He will take care of that. And we get to just release all of the pressure that they had on us. We get to get all of the, the weight of whatever that was. Like the number of times I will talk to someone and they are telling me everything that Susie did or everything that, that Johnny at work did. And it, like, we'll be in a 45 minute conversation. And at the end, I'm like, how much time do you think Johnny was spending today thinking about you and how mad he is at you? Zero. Like it is, it is weighing down on us. Let's just give it. Vengeance is God's. He says, to the contrary, once, we, once we've released the permission to go seek revenge, and once we've released whatever feelings we have, I don't want revenge anymore. I'm going to give this to God and let him take care of it. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If that person who was a jerk to you at work says, hey, I really need some help with something, and that's your chance to be like, oh, now you're going to see what it's like to not get help whenever you ask for it. Yeah, Paul and Jesus says, yeah, give Give your enemy what they need. Let them, let them they, they need something to eat, give them something to eat. They need something to drink, give them something to drink. For by so doing, you heap burning coals on his head. Now, remember, Paul is recovering from, he used to like kill people for a living. So like, he, I, I, get, I get that he keeps adding like vengeance is mine. And then 
be really nice to your enemies because you're going to heap burning coals on his head. That is a terrible, terrible image. Uh, I, I had a fire during quarantine where I burned things in my yard and I reached down to move a limb that actually had a little bit of ember on it. And I immediately like cringed and thought, oh, this is awful. I don't want that. And Paul is like, when you're nice to your enemies, it's like taking all those limbs that were in there and just like dropping it on your enemy's head. It was like heaping coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I run the risk, as I finish the sermon, uh, of having said nothing new to you. Should you love people? Yeah, everybody. Like, there, there's nobody, like, there's five-year-olds out there who have never heard the name of Jesus. Like, yeah, I should love everybody. I should be nice to people. The problem is, is if you're like me, is that I wait for love to, like, like, force me into doing something, whereas all of this that we just read, love, the type of love that we're supposed to show each other requires Jesse to decide, I'm no longer going to seek vengeance. I'm, no, I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm not even going to get what's coming to me. I, I, I was wronged, and everybody in here would say, Jesse, you have a right to be mad. And I'm going to say in response, I give that right up. And I'm going to choose love instead. I'm going to choose harmony instead. I'm going to choose to live peaceably with others. In so much as it depends on Jesse... I'm going to hope that I can live at peace with everyone. Here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to close with three questions as like reflections on, um, on, on how you apply this this week. And I think, I think the first one is, is the biggest one. That, that is this, what does love require? What does love require? There's a billboard up in Bridge City because someone's mad at someone and it's, it's ugly. And there's probably a lot of people in that story that'd be like, you know what, so-and-so did cheat, so therefore you have a right to be mad. And there's probably a group of people on both sides that are like, you have a right to be angry, right? But what does, what does love require? Not what does anger require? What, not what does justice require? Not what is owed us? But in this moment, right now, what does unconditional, no-strings-attached love require my behavior, my action to be? My experience has been, it usually requires me not to say the first five things that come to my mind to say. Usually, uh, those things need to be filtered out uh, right away. In fact, I've never uh, really uh, regretted keeping my mouth shut in situations, but a lot of times I find that I regret opening my mouth when I didn't let it filter, once or twice at least. What, is, what does love require? There, there's conflicts at work. You have a conflict with your boss. What does love require before you handle it? Sure, there's, there's maybe an HR conversation you need to have at some point, but what, is, what does love require? There's, um, in a marriage, there's conflict, and you're trying to sort it out. Okay, but before we talk about who's right and who's wrong, what, is, what does love require that we do right here? What, is, what, is it, what does it mean to live peaceably? The second question that I want to reflect on is, what do I, when, rather, when do I turn this over to God? Let his Batman voice come out and let vengeance be his. You know, whenever he said that, he, he doesn't say, and I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. What he says is, I'm going to handle it the right way. When, when someone wrongs us and we hand that over to God, it's not saying, God, please ignore this too. It's saying, you just handle that as justly as you can um, and trust that he will. There, there's a time in relationships where you've done everything that love requires of you and it's time for you to just let it go. Sometimes you're talking with uh, a, a family member and you've done everything you can to help that person 
in, in whatever way you can. You've done everything that love requires of you. And then it becomes time like, okay, I'm just gonna turn this over. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let God have this. If you refuse to turn it over, then you hold all of the responsibility for the outcome. You hold all of the weight of thinking about it, all the energy that it takes to keep mulling over. Did I choose the right thing? Is Okay, what do I do next? Sometimes it's just time to, to give it to God. And the third question is, how do I do what is honorable to all? In, in, in each moment, there are decisions where sometimes you, you have the, the right to say, this hurt me, this wronged me. Um, I was treated unjustly in this moment. And what would be the most honorable thing to do is to just, you know what, we're going to, we're going to live and let live, we're going to forgive, we're going to forget, we're going to do whatever is honorable. What, if, if, we could, if we could pass our lives through these filters I think, I think that our decision-making matrix would be better. Now, uh, I taught a message similar to this to your teenagers a few weeks ago. And in teaching it, I came, I came across a story I remember hearing. And um, I just want to tell you guys uh, the quick parts of this story. There's a um, woman by the name of April Geiger and a man by the name of Botham Jean. Uh, and they lived in Dallas. Uh, and about two years ago, three years ago, she, she was a police officer and she walks, she opens uh, what she thought was her apartment door and she walks in and there's a man, Botham Jean, sitting in the living room. Uh, and she shoots the man because she's a police officer and she has a gun uh, and she shoots the man. In her head, uh, there's a man who has broken into my apartment. I need to protect myself. Except the facts of the case are that it wasn't her apartment. She walked into the wrong apartment. In his head, I'm sitting in my own living room minding my own business and someone kicks in the door and shoots me and he, he dies. Um, the story unfolds uh, and, and media grabs the story. You, you may even remember seeing this. As it unfolds, it becomes a racial conversation because she is a white officer and he was a black male and, and, and the entire community rises up and everybody had something to say. What was right? What was wrong? What is just in the situation? What is unjust? Uh, here's a man who's minding his own business who is now dead. Should there be justice for this? Yes. Here's a woman who thought she was in her house but wasn't. She felt scared and she pulled the trigger. Should there be justice? What, what do you do right here? And then you add the racial conflict that is going on and you have uh, the white community saying it wasn't about race and you have the black community saying that, yeah, but black people are treated differently. We have reason to be angry. We have reason to be angry. And everybody was angry at everybody. And this thing is boiling over. She ends up being charged with murder and she does go to prison. So justice is found, I believe. But there's this moment that I want to bring out in this story. And that is Botham's little brother. His name is Brant Jean. Brent Jean is much younger than Botham, but he is mourning the loss of his older brother. And everybody in his world would say to Brent, Brent, you have every reason to be mad at April. You have every reason to say you're racist. You have every reason to say, how dare you take my brother and kill him? You've robbed me of my life with my brother. You have every reason to be angry. But at the end of the court hearing, before the sentencing of April, the victims had a right to give a speech, and Brant Jean gives the speech, and he runs it through the filter that we just looked at, those three questions. I, I, he may have done it a little differently, but he does ask the question, sure, I could go for vengeance, but what does love require of me? If, if you would permit, I, I would like you to hear two minutes of his speech here. I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. 
Nah, I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Nobody would say that Brand didn't have reason to be angry. It's not about what was right or wrong. It's that love required that he live at peace and to give whatever vengeance and justice is necessary to God and trust that he would work that out and he gets to live free as a result of it. I want to close with the last three questions again. What does love require of me in this situation? Run it through a filter. When, when do you turn this over to God and have, have the courage to say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm not going to carry this anymore. I'm going to let you have it. And at the end, how do you do, how do you live, how do you do what is honorable to all? I'm thankful for Brent. I, one day, and he doesn't live far from here, I, I hope I would be able to meet him and just talk to him. Because what he did was courageous, um, and it's a powerful testimony to how we should love one another. Let's pray, and you'll be dismissed. Father, uh, we thank you, God. Um, God, we thank you that that you, you've given us uh, an out, and that we don't have to carry pains. Um, but Father, love, love is hard. Uh, to, to love unconditionally, God, the way that you've asked us, we, we won't be able to do it without your help. So Lord, we thank you for the example uh, in, in his story, and I pray, Father, that we would, we would rise to the occasion to be more examples, that we would learn to to love unconditionally, that we would forgive when we can, and that we live at peace and in harmony with those around us. And we would trust that you, you ultimately are the keeper of justice. Father, I pray for Carpenter's Way as a result of loving this way, that we would be freer and that we would be able to, to live uh, up to our potential and the gifts that you've given us, and that we would, we would see those manifested, not just in our, in our service here, but also in our families and in our community. We pray, Lord, that... Um, we pray, Lord, that more people would know about this love uh, in our community. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.